0: And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Iron Kim, and I hope to have a chance to meet you, if I've not done so before. This morning we're finishing up a sermon series on the Ten Commandments today. And, you know, you may have heard us talk about the Ten Commandments also as the Ten Words. That's what it's often referred to in Jewish tradition. So if you think about how is life supposed to be lived? If we ask that question, God gives us 10 words, 10 words, 10 commandments. He says, live this way and you're going to find life. And these words are an expression of his heart. His desire for us to live free lives and for our community to actually flourish. So please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 20 and Romans chapter 13. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not covet your your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we ask that as we draw near to you that you would draw near to us by your spirit this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a tender heart to receive what you have for us because your words are good, words of life. And we ask that uh, you would meet us in a profound way today and we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Covening. You know, maybe it's an odd way to end the Ten Commandments, and you know, because we often hear people say things like, Well, we should be free to do what we want as long as we don't harm anyone else. And coveting is one of those things that doesn't feel like it does harm to others. Ben referred to this earlier on in the service a little bit. And yet, for the last word of the Ten Commandments, God focuses on coveting. Envy is our common word for the act of coveting, right? And Herman Melville in a little short story uh, called Billy Bud Sailor, he said this about envy. He said, Did anybody ever seriously confess to envy? Something there is in it universally felt to be more shameful than even felonious crime. And what he's saying is, no one wants to admit They are envious. You know why? It feels so petty and small-hearted. It's almost shameful, embarrassing. And yet, the reality is, it's one of these things that is in every single one of us. And it is hard to detect sometimes. Because the other commandments, there's a clear outward expression of what it looks like to lie or to commit adultery or to hurt someone else. But the 10th commandment is one that you may actually never witness being broken because you're not really sure. It's more about the inward aspect of our heart than the outward expression of it. And some of you may be thinking, well, what's the difference between envy and jealousy? And I think properly speaking, you're jealous of what you already have. And when that is threatened, you feel jealous. See? but we are envious of what someone other, some, what others have. You should feel jealous for your reputation, your integrity, for the love of your spouse. You are jealous for these things, but envy again is wanting something you don't have that someone else has. Aristotle defined it as pain. I love how he says that. It's the pain at the sight of another's good fortune, stirred by those who have what we ought to have, and it comes from comparing, measuring, the desire to be distinctive. This is the soil in which envy kind of thrives and grows. And it's been with us for as long as we can all remember. Hey, if you want to see coveting and envy at work, we can all walk over to the nursery now, you know. And we can watch all the children play because it's really interesting because there may be a toy no one is interested in until what happens. Another kid picks it up. And that's when all of a sudden it becomes the most popular toy that exists. And we can say maybe that's just who we are. It's just part of us and we can't even remember a time when we didn't feel these things. But here's the problem. God is saying coveting our envy actually poisons us and our relationship with our neighbors. Because how do you love your neighbor yourself when you become so envious of what they have. How many friendships are ruined because of our envy and coveting? You know, it's this slow-working poison in our system that breaks us down spiritually when left unchecked. Joseph Epstein, who's a writer, uh, he has a wonderful little book on the topic of envy. It's entitled Envy. And it's part of a series that Oxford University Press put out years ago as part of the Seven Deadly Sins, and he was assigned to write the book on envy. And he says this about envy because he's just so funny the way he talks about it. He says, envy sucks the joy out of our lives. You are unable to enjoy what you have because of comparison. This is how envy works. Self-pity is this manifestation of our envy. You feel sorry for yourself when you compare yourself to your peers, and when you thought, I thought I'd be here in my life by now, and it's not there, but these people have what I've always longed for, and you're unable to enjoy even what you have and what you're living in right now. Yeah, you know, the Bible has so many examples of envy. thought about talking about, maybe we can talk about Cain and Abel this morning, because there's a lot there. But probably one of the most memorable stories in the scriptures about this is actually the one of Saul and David from 1 Samuel 18. Saul was the king of Israel. And what you begin to find out is he's full of envy for his young, you know, protege David. And think about it, Saul is the king. He has power, he has authority, he's been successful. He's respected as a leader and a warrior. And he and his army had just won this great battle against the Philistines. And the crowds come out to celebrate, and they're cheering, and the women are lining up in the streets. They're playing their tambourines and singing. And here's what they say. Saul has struck down his thousands. That's, that's pretty good. I'd feel good if someone said that about me, it's, you know? And then they say, and David his ten thousands. Saul is the king. He has the victory. But, you, you know, as soon as he heard how they described David, listen to what it says in verse 8. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. That is, he looked at David intently. And the word in Latin is invidia, to look maliciously upon something. He gave him the eye. Saul eyed him from that day. This is the dynamic. Saul has all this incredible stuff taking place in his life, yet he can't enjoy any of it because of the comparison he's having with David, nor can he celebrate What God is doing in David's life. And this is what happens, and envy looks like this in our lives. Because envy destroys our ability to appreciate and enjoy the life we've been given and to celebrate it also in others. You know, one preacher described envy as a hole in the bucket of gratitude. And I think we're familiar with this emotion. There's probably a whole lot of envy that's going on in this room, isn't there? You know, and when you hear the line, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me thousands. Think about all the things you hope for and wish for, and you begin to see yourself saying, they have ascribed to so-and-so ten thousands, but to me thousands. See, envy asks one leading question. What about me? asking that question epstein says it this way why does he or she have beauty talent wealth power the world's love and other gifts or at any rate a larger share of them than i why not me what about me i mean have you been asking that question of god lately about yourself saying god what about me Envy doesn't just end there. It also has this aspect where it tears people down. And this is why it's so poisonous. Uh, Dorothy Sayre talks about it as the great leveler. Because if you can't level things up, it will level them down. And she says, rather than have anybody happier than itself, it will see us all miserable together. I'm going to bring you down with me. This is why, whether we like to admit it or not, we sometimes like hearing bad news about others, don't we? <laughs> I'll never admit it, but it's there. There's a word for this in German. Schadenfreude. You know, it's delighting. You're, you're just delighting in another person's failure or defeat. I mean, this is the bread and butter of tabloid and gossip site. You know, maybe you're like, I don't know that word, but I know you know that feeling <laughs> And we underestimate the power of envy in life and what's doing in us and in our community. God is saying it's an offense to me. It's poisoning you and it hurts our community. You know, how bad is envy in our hearts? You know, because I don't think many of you are going to your closest friends and saying, will you forgive me because I've been envying you? You know, We we don't say things like that. But think about how this works. I'll just give you a few examples. You know, we who are parents, we envy parents with children who behave better than ours. We do. And oh, how delightful when you find out it is really because they are cruel to their children. You know? How else are these children going to listen to you, right? And we resent someone who has a spouse. That is just all put together, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. And you look over and you're like... (sighs) (sighs) And we resent the woman who had the baby at the exact same time as you did. And you look at her and you would never know she's ever been pregnant. And we envy that person who you've been working out with. They do the exact same routine. They're seeing results. And you're wondering, what about me? We envy people who have achievement in their profession because we want it in ours. And you say, well, why did they get to be on that flagship project? Why did she get promoted? We envy those who are more popular than us, right? Maybe it's some inner ring at school. Maybe it's the inner ring of some very important text thread that you don't get included on or at work. Or you think there's some inner ring of popular people at church and you resent the fact that I feel like I'm not a part of that. We envy things, qualities, and, you know, sometimes the simple stuff, house, cars, vacations that people take. But sometimes we envy the fact that someone actually might keep you from making you feel very special and unique. Like singularly distinguished, right? Oh, goodness, you're used to being the resident genius, and now, oh, my goodness, there's a person in this room who's almost as smart as me. I don't like this, you know? And we feel radically threatened. My gosh, you know, like, if you understand what I mean by you listen to this, and it just feels so petty, so small, so small. And the question is, how can we be healed of all this and can be freed? What is the remedy? You know, because before we get there, we have to kind of understand and bring out to light what is driving all of this in us. We have to look at the underbelly of this all, and it's, it's, it's a little uncomfortable, but let's go back to the story of King Saul. Because he's this incredibly successful person. He's been given so much by God. He's so worried about what he doesn't have. He has so much to be thankful for, but rather than enjoying all of that, he begins to compare himself to David, and he just feels himself lacking, and he is obsessed with this. And there's a third character that's an important part of the story of 1 Samuel, is Samuel himself. And in an exchange he has with Saul in 1 Samuel 15, he puts his finger on Saul's problem. Because in verse 17, he says this to King Saul, Although you were once small in your own eyes, you did not become the head of the tribes of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel and sent you on a mission. Why did you not obey the Lord? This is Samuel saying this to Saul. I mean, kind of harsh words, but he says something. He says, Saul, you were once small in your own eyes. He's saying... Saul, remember where you came from. God did something in your life. He made you great. And you don't glory in what God did. Instead, you're little in your own eyes. I mean, that's a really uh, specific thing he's getting at. He's saying, God has made you great. But you see yourself as so small. And that's why we're so bent on trying to look great to others because we're not thinking about or realizing what God has already done in your life and what he has given you. You know, each week we've looked at the Ten Commandments. We, we kind of have gone back to the beginning and the prelude of it in verse 2, where God says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What has God been saying each week? He's saying, don't you see? I am the God who is for you. I have heard your cry. I have miraculously brought you out of Egypt by a mighty hand because I care for you. I love you. I am for you. And he's saying, because this is true, I'm going to give you these ten words. I am the source of your contentment. That's what God is saying. And this is why Psalm 23 begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, when God is your shepherd, He's saying, I am satisfying you in every single way. And what the Bible is saying is, apart from faith in this, apart from God's presence in our life, envy, coveting will erode the joy in our lives as we compare ourselves to other, our envy grows. And we believe the lie that God actually doesn't care about us. That he has forsaken us. He has forgotten about you. And you end up in a place of self-pity. And that becomes the main emotion that allows discontent to grow. Because we want so badly the things we believe God is keeping from us. And it causes us us to take for granted all that he has already given to us. Joseph Epstein goes on to talk about how envy is the greatest Rorschach test of them all. You guys remember that test that you've seen in Psychology 101? You know the ink blots and they ask you, so what do you see? You know? Because it tells you a lot about your own heart. He's making the point that envy itself you follow that thread down. will show you what you are really, really living for. See what you envy. It'll show you what you love, what you really worship, what you find hope and meaning in life. And we covet because we are not content with what we have and feeling like God is withholding something from me. And God keeps saying, look, I have given you life significance, meaning, worth. I have rescued you. I love you. You know, and, and, and all of this, you begin to realize our covenant actually shows us who we really worship. This is why in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, put to death, therefore, covetousness, which is idolatry. He's saying this is the violation of the first commandment you shall have no other gods before me because the coveting is the tell. It shows you what you're really about. It's the indicator and the points to our real idols. It takes us back to the first commandment. Anything more important and precious to us than God. And that is where we've been putting our hope. And whether you're a Christian or not, Whether you've been a Christian all your life or you're just trying to figure out Christianity, I think this is true for every single one of us in this room. What we covet, what we long for, that really is the source of our eternal hope and what we've been relying on. The question is, what does our heart cling to and rely on? Because the scriptures are saying, that is your God. That is what we're finding our significance and worth in. And God is saying, don't forget, I have given you all things. Be content with me and be truly satisfied in me. Now, are you, still, are you following me here? This is how envy poisons us. This is what our coveting is rooting it in. And the question is, how do you become free from this? To be free from this coveting We have to free ourselves from the lie that God himself is not enough. See, even those of you who've grown up in the church, we do this thing where we say God is the most important thing. But when the rubber hits the road, when all things come together, yes, that's sort of true, but then we believe we have to have all these other things that we have to have sprinkled in our lives because somehow if that's not there, then God can't actually be for me and the scriptures keep saying God is telling you no 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 I am enough and notice the things that God asks us not to covet they're actually not bad things the things we are longing to have a spouse home livestock livestock we can translate that today to our money our assets these are good things it's okay to pursue them But God is saying, be careful that these things don't become a source of your joy and comfort that displaces me. Because as I said in the first commandment sermon, there is only room for one in our lives. God is a jealous God. He's saying there is only room for one. And we are learning to say, Lord, you and your will is enough for me. And the question is, how do we get there? And the Bible says, this is something we can actually learn. Okay? Which means, if you're struggling with this, this is good news because we're all learning this. Because In Philippians chapter 4, this is what the Apostle Paul says. In verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content." He's saying, I have learned how to be content. Learn how not to covet. How did he learn this? Verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. He's saying, you know, I have learned through facing trials, adversities, He has learned what is truly important. Those adversities. And even the trials are when things are going well. Abounding. Abundance. Think about it. When things are going really well, all of a sudden you you don't think you need God. See, So you don't call on Him. You don't pray. This is kind of what happens. It's sort of a trial. We don't think of prosperity as a trial because it tempts us to But the reality is it tempts us to love those things more than God. Paul is saying in any circumstance, difficult circumstances, I have learned to be content. Contentment. And the secret to this is in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 4. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's saying, I am so connected to Jesus It's not anything I've achieved. It's not anything I've acquired by my ability. It's something I've received by faith because Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. And that, Jesus Christ, is enough. You know, when you become a Christian, you begin to understand something. You are given this incredible treasure that you are in Jesus Christ. That means every privilege... Every benefit that Jesus has is also yours. You're not only forgiven, but you've been adopted into his family. Jesus calls you his brother, his sister. He even calls us friend. And God is our heavenly father who looks at us and says, you're my son, my beloved daughter. He delights in you and me no less than he delights in his only begotten son. I mean, that is really, really hard to believe. But this is the true grace of God in us. God did not spare his own son one iota of misery. Jesus experienced misery to its death. Why? To have us. And if God did not spare his own son, his own son one tear, how can we go on believing he is denying us what we need? Sometimes I I know, sometimes it feels that way. Some of you are struggling with health issues and you're thinking, God, how much longer? How, why me? Others of us have been lonely for so long and you're saying, God, I've been waiting to meet someone. What about me? And in this, God is saying, you have to understand something. It doesn't mean I don't love you. God just wants you to learn how to love him first. And he's saying, I can give you all the joy you seek, the contentment, even if none of those things pan out exactly the way you hoped it would. You know, when my daughter, who is now in college, was very young, sometimes she would pray, and one day she came to me and she said, Daddy, how come God doesn't answer my prayers? Meaning she asked for stuff and she didn't get all of it. And I told her, you know, sweetheart, God doesn't give us everything we want, but he always gives us everything we need. And I think that is still a very hard for, hard thing for us to hear. It doesn't matter if you're 10. If you're, it doesn't matter if you're 20. It doesn't matter if you're 60. But that's part of learning contentment. And if all of this sounds just too far away from where you are spiritually today... Remember what Paul is saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, although we are full of envy, and we are so petty, and we are covetous, Jesus says, Jesus, the most unenvious person in the world, Jesus who delights in seeing others get the glory that only he deserves, Jesus, the one who died, and he kept all of the Ten Commandments on our behalf because we couldn't, the one who became a servant, the one who became obedient to God unto death, he said to the Father in John 17, the glory you have given to me, I have given to them. Jesus has given you all of God's glory. I mean, all the applause of the world is not going to compare to this. And you know what happens when you begin to believe this is true in your own heart? you actually become free to love. You know where it says here in Romans 13, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Because to the degree you understand how much God has loved you in Jesus Christ, you begin to understand your heart becomes freed just a little bit more each day from envy of coveting and being able to move out of self-pity into loving others. You begin to celebrate that God is doing good in your friend's life, that God is up to something amazing, and you don't have to sit there angry or bitter. You begin to celebrate that your friend's children are doing well. You begin to celebrate the fact that People who've been stuck in sorrow are being lifted up because of what God's doing, and you rejoice in that. You, be, you look at your own life and you say, gosh, Lord, I am amazed, and I thank you for what is taking place here. And yes, I am sad about the hard things in my life. I, yes, I'm praying that your kingdom would come. Yes, I am doing all these things. But you know what? I am freed up to love, and I don't have to live in sorrow and self-pity because I see what you're doing. See? See? This, my friends, is keeping the Ten Commandments. This is the freedom that God gives us in His Son. And this week, imagine, imagine what it would be like if we were a community who is actually living this out together. Man, in our workplace, in our homes, with our neighbors, with our classmates, in our labs, you think about what this would do. It is transformative, it is powerful because it is the love of God at work and the gospel in our community. So let's give ourselves to that and let's go to him in prayer this morning. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would give us an extra measure of your spirit because the things we're talking about here are hard. It's so hard to admit that our hearts can be so petty and envious and covetous. It's hard to believe that we can be so small. But Father, you've told us that in your Son... We have the glory that your son has given to us. And I pray for all of us that we would experience an extra measure of that today. And that we would go out in freedom to love and to serve others just as our Lord Jesus Christ did. And we ask these things, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.